Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. All righty, friends, welcome back to the podcast. This is Brayden, as always, and I'm super excited because today I have a very special guest, Amy Porterfield. How are you doing? I am so excited to be here, Brayden. It's so great to see your face and hear you. Likewise, I'm very excited to have you. Amy, as you may or may not know, you've been very instrumental in the growth of my business. So I'm eternally grateful you helped me launch my first course. And now I have like a... I would say not a hundred percent education-based business, but like a 90%. So big thanks to you. For I mean, that. that makes me so excited. I feel like you have done incredible things in your business and I've always loved watching you. So it's been really fun. Yes. Likewise, the feeling is mutual. So what we're going to do, Amy, this is going to be, um, I would say a new format, but we've done a couple of these shows before. So my audience is like kind of used to it. It's going to be more about your journey, how you've built your business. We're going to talk a little bit about finances, a little bit about how you've built your team, which is something I know that you like to talk about, yeah. but let's kind of rewind and take okay. us back to like before Amy Porterfield has launched, what is her now empire? What did her life look like? Where was she? What was she doing? Okay. So even before I started my business. Yeah. Like how, what was your journey into getting your business started? So I was in corporate forever. I always thought I would always be a corporate girl and I loved the security. I loved moving up the corporate ladder, all the accolades and the bonuses and promotions. I like live for that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I would always be doing that. But then I, I worked for Tony Robbins for six and a half years. And I got the entrepreneurial bug when I worked with him because that's all he talked about is, you know, being <laughs> your own boss and calling the shots and doing all those things. So finally, I thought, I got to give this a try. Like I wanted more freedom so very badly that I thought I just got to give it a shot. So about six and a half years into that job, I took the leap and started my own business. And I thought I would create digital courses and teach people about online marketing. But I got out on my, on my own, did not save a bunch of money to start my own business and didn't know how to create a digital course on my own. And so I thought, well, I better start making money or we're in big trouble. So I took a bunch of clients. I did social media for small businesses. I worked one-on-one -on -one with people and absolutely hated the business I created. And my bottom line showed it because I went for my first full year was 2010. I made just a little bit over what I made in corporate. So I thought like, I'm rich. Like I have done it. I have figured it out. Watch out world. 2011, I went backwards. I made like, I don't know, $30,000 less than the year before. And I thought, Ooh, I might be in trouble. Like I was freaked out. I knew nothing about managing finances as a small business owner. What, what was the reason for the back step though? Were, were you like overwhelmed with clients or you'd kind of like taken a step back from some of the work that you were doing? Uh, such a great question. So I took clients all through 2010 and I took way too many clients. I think it's like a total rookie mistake that most of us make. So we take on too much. So I took on way too many clients. I was running around with my head cut off. Like I was just, oh my gosh, I cannot manage all this. Went into 2011, still had a bunch of clients, wasn't even doing a great job because I was maxed. 
And then I thought, I hate this. I literally created a business I hate. So I fired all my clients and I said, I'm going to create my first digital course <laughs> game on. So I literally let go of all my clients and then thought I could create a course and everything will be great in the world. My first course was a huge failure. And so I wasn't making the kind of money that I was with the clients. And so I literally made less money because I fired my clients and thought like my first digital course was going to be a huge success. Uh, newsflash, it was not. And how I imagine that would be pretty scary because I know at the time you lived here in Southern California in San Diego County, which is not a, not a cheap market to live oh. in when you're starting your own business. Oh. And at the time my husband was trying to become a firefighter. So he wasn't even making any money. So it was all on me. It was looking back. I'm like, thank God I got through those first few years. Cause they were really rough. Um, yeah, I went into debt. I remember like it was yesterday sitting at the kitchen table. I was in year two of my business and I was just crying. I was like, I, I think I've made a mistake. I don't know how to manage a business. I'm not making nearly as much money as I thought I would. Like, what if I have to grovel and go back to my, my J-O-B? Like I, I just was so scared. So it was a very, very stressful time. Finances and building your own business can be very scary. So thank God for people like you. Yeah, and my Maria audience knows I ask the probably unsexy questions as opposed <laughs> to a lot of the interviews you probably do. Good. But it's because it's it's what I teach. It's what we do. In like 2010, 2011, what did your like what did your bookkeeping process look like? Were you using a spreadsheet, pen and paper? Did you have a lawyer? Can you reflect back on that? Close your eyes. What do you see? <laughs> Nothing. That, that's what it was. No, I did not have any system for managing my finances in 2010 and 2011. I think probably at the end of 2011, I got my first bookkeeper. I remember like it was yesterday because it was Lewis House's mom. How <laughs> random is that? And so um, Lewis was a good friend of mine, told me about his mom and she managed, she did my P&Ls. Didn't even know how to read a P&L for many years. That was a big mistake I made. It wasn't, here's the biggest mistakes I made in the very first years with my finances. It was like, if I don't hear it, I don't look, I don't see it, it's gonna be fine, it's just gonna be fine. And it wasn't. So looking at the numbers and paying attention to the numbers was something that I was scared to do, but I needed to do. And it's something that when you're not making a lot of money, who wants to even continue to be reminded that right now it's not working as you hope, but you, you've got time. Anyway, 2010, 2011 did not have any system for finances. And guess what happened when tax season came? <laughs> I was freaked out. I did not save all that money. I didn't, I like really had to scramble because I didn't even know what estimated taxes were or putting money aside. Yeah. The greatest thing ever is I had so many challenges in the beginning with my finances that I take it very seriously now because I was Good. so wounded by all of that. Yeah, I think a lot of us, when we're not making, uh, when we're not making as much money, like the bookkeeping is scary, right? But this is why it's so important to do it early because you said that you hired your bookkeeper. I'm assuming before you launched your massively successful first course or your first course yes. that was massively successful. Like imagine what the books look like if you, cause I've had people come to me with this problem, making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they don't know how much money they're spending if they're really profiting. So it's so good that you got it done sooner. Can you, Amy, can you tell us what your first like hit course was? And when you had that aha moment of like, okay, this is happening. Yes. Yeah, so it was near the end of 2011 and I had launched, well, I had launched a course with Lewis. That's why I knew his mom. 
Um, but that one, and it did really well, but it was with someone else. But um, on the tail end of that, I think into 2012, I launched my first course alone and I made $30,000 in one launch. And I thought I was the richest woman in the world. It's still so much money. And I did it in about a week. And I thought, holy cow, I, I finally figured it out. Now that was my third launch on my own for the record. Mm -hmm. My first one, complete failure. I made 267 bucks. My second one, I did a little bit better, but this third one, I was like, boom, game on. And I have never looked back since then, but that's like two full years into my business. Yeah. And did you like, did you go on a shopping spree or were you responsible or? <laughs> I didn't go on a shopping spree, but I remember Hobie and I did like a staycation, which we ended up doing after almost every launch. So we'd nice. go to a nice hotel in Carlsbad, California, and we would kind of, and I remember getting chocolate covered strawberries. I was doing it up and uh, celebrating. And I think that part's important. You know, when mm -hmm. you, when something great happens in your business, you got to celebrate it because if you're off to the next thing, the burnout happens really fast. Yeah, I always like to set my, I call them launch rewards, my launch rewards as oh, a percentage. Oh, I love that. Yeah, like, like what's a, a launch reward revenue. you've had? So what's my fun? first launch reward was like a pair of Birkenstocks that I'd been wanting for three years. Because <laughs> I, I was in law school, like they were $140. I was like, I wasn't going to spend the money. But then, I, you know, my first launch was 4000 So I was like, okay, okay I can Perfect. do it. And now the launch rewards are, you know, usually like a $1,500 chair I want to buy for the, yes. for the house or something. Yes. I think that I'm totally like you. Like I love, I love that we can reap the rewards and really celebrate, but also not go crazy and spend half the money we just made. So yeah. I think being responsible, but launch rewards, I'm all about them. Yeah. It's, and this is why I like to do like a percentage or something. You, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep I yourself in smart. check. Yeah. Yes. I have a girlfriend who she does uh 5%. 5% of every one of her launches, she gets to take that money and do whatever she wants. And when, when you're in the big millions, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's like, you know, that could be, that could be like two week vacation money right there. Yeah, for sure. So it gets, it gets more fun as, as you get more experience. So with that $30,000 launch, what was that? What was the course? It was, um, Facebook ads insider. So I taught how to do Facebook ads, which is really funny because today I could not do that. I could not <laughs> teach a Facebook ads course. I haven't done my own ads in many, many years, yeah. but back in the day I had my hands in everything. So I was, I was pretty good with ads. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you could still teach ads. You just probably have to take a few months to like get it all figured yes. out and like, yes. do you want to do that? Probably yeah. no. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when did you get into how many launches after that, did you get into like becoming the person known for teaching people how to create courses, build their actually, Amy, what came for first teaching people, email marketing or teaching people courses? You know, I've taught list building from really from the beginning. Um, I, I think actually, I don't even think I had a list building course before I had a course on webinars and courses and all of that. But it was something that I always taught just as my free content. So that's right. always been it. But my so how did I transition into being known for someone who teaches other people how to create courses? So I created that Facebook ads course that did really well. And then the one Lewis and I did together was also about Facebook ads. And then um, I ended up realizing, wait a second, I'm doing really well with my courses. So by then I had two under my belt and I thought, oh, and then I created a course on webinars. I do webinars really well. So I thought a lot of people want to know how I do my webinars. So I created a course on webinars that did exceptionally well. And I thought I could teach people how to create these courses because they started to ask, how are you churning out these courses so quickly and, and making so much money? 
And so I thought, well, I'll teach them how to do it. So I created a course on courses and that's when it kind of put me on the map. And because it did so well, and this is a, a secret I teach all my students as well, pay attention to what does well and double down on that. Yeah. Start cleaning up the offers in your business that just do so-so, but take a lot of your energy and time and spend the time on the thing that does really well. So I went all in with that. And soon the webinar course and the course on courses became a digital course academy over the years. Uh, yeah, I love that focus, like focusing on the stuff that people actually want, right? That's right. What a concept. Yeah, that's been like our mantra, like my mantra in my business this year. I'm like, all right, we'll do TikTok videos when we have time to do TikTok videos. But like in the meantime, let's do the shit that we know already works, which <laughs> for me is like, point. you know, guest speaking and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so you're on TikTok. I am. Yes, okay, I, will I am be on TikTok. I'm very okay, excited. Brayden Adam Drake on TikTok. You can okay. find me there. I love TikTok. Yeah, it's but you know, like everyone else, this is the problem is I go on TikTok like for entertainment. So I don't get like, and of course my social media manager is like, well, if you really want to grow your TikTok, you need to follow other business accounts and engage with those. And I'm like, but those aren't very fun. Right, it's so much work, it's so much work. <laughs> so now she wants me to have two accounts, of course. And I'm like, oh, so much, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you create the business account, you manage it, I'll pay you. How's that sound? Ooh, perfect. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so we got we got the core stuff rolling. This is really exciting. You have your bookkeeper. Um, how I'm curious back then and also present day, because I wanted to ask you a, a few questions about this. What is your bookkeeping process like? So I know that you don't do your bookkeeping, but who does that? And how how much of a role do you play into it? Like, do you look at the PL every week, every month? What's your process? Okay, so I love this question because this process has evolved over time and now I feel like it is dialed in, but dang it, it took a while and it didn't need to take that long. So I have a virtual CFO and he, his name is Andrew and he feels like he's all mine, but he's not, that's how good he is. But I have a virtual CFO that has an agency. So he's got a team behind him and they do all of our finances. And yes, they create a PL every month and I look at it once a month. So once a month, he actually, I've asked him, do a video, like do a loom, walk me through this. What are you seeing? What are the trends? What are the red flags? Where are we doing well? Where are we kind of like, ooh, a little bit uh, sketchy there. We need some work. He knows it better than I do. And he explains it in layman's terms. So one thing I've learned along the way with my finances is I was really bad in math in high school. I just, it, it foreign language still to this day. And so I need someone to explain it to me a little bit slower and um, a little bit be patient with me. So he'll make a loom video. He'll walk me through the PL and then some, we use, um, I think it's called budget, but it's spelled kind of funny. It's a software that we mm -hmm. use and we put all of our budget details in there and all the reports and analytics come out of there. So he'll walk me through budget as well. Um, but I will say uh, two years ago is when we officially started having budgets. Every one of my departments creates their own budget and they submit it and we work off that all year. So I'm 13 years in. So just two years ago, I don't know how I've become so successful without any budgets. <laughs> I got, I feel like some of that was luck, but, um, Brayden, one thing that's interesting, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience and I'd love your insight. Now that we have budgets, sometimes it feels restrictive. Sometimes it feels like a little bit more stressful than it was when we were a little loosey goosey, like, let's just yeah. do this and see what happens. Now that we've got this budget and guidelines, 
um, sometimes I feel a little bit more stifled in my spending or things that I want to do. I don't know if that ever comes up for anyone. Yeah, I think so. I mean, my answer to that would be like, try out something like a flex spending account or like in personal finance, the author Ramit Sethi, he'd probably be a great guest for your podcast. I don't know if you know him. I didn't think of that. Um, but he has a concept in his book called guilt-free spending account. It's more for personal finances, but really you're just putting money in there that you can kind of, you know, have for a, a splurge purchase in your business. Do that your departments fun, just a little extra. What was yeah, that? Do your, do your departments when they're doing their budget, do they have to like kind of fight for resources and like really argue for what they think they need? Or do they just like tell you this is what it's going to cost us. And then you like write it in. So they, at first, the first pass, anything they want, like, what do you think you need? What do you want? And now that we've done it for two years now, they kind of can use old history to kind of guide them. Um, But then uh, my CFO takes all the budgets and then all of our revenue projections and he punches all the numbers in and gets this magic number, not really magic, but I pretend it is. (laughs) And he'll tell me what my revenue is and my profit margin. And profit margin is something that we've paid attention to for years and years. It's really important to me. So we're typically between 45% and 50% profit margin. And I always want to be in that sweet spot. And I think last year we hit 48%. So uh, we did really well. I made less money last year, but almost uh, in revenue, but almost just as well in profit because our profit margin was stronger than the year before. So that's how important it is to me. And so when, when the team puts all their stuff together and I see the profit margin, if it's below 45%, I have everyone go back to the drawing board and say, where can we cut here? Or where can we make more money but I want to start the year off at least on plan to stay within that profit margin. You know, for a business of your size, that's like an incredibly strong profit margin. We're really proud of it. I probably yeah. obsess about it a little more than I should, but it's <laughs> it's a huge accomplishment. So, and um, when we get away from it, like every single month, he'll let us know if we're on track. So we're always kind of correcting and figuring it out. So when you ask about, so you kind of asked me the question about having a little bit more freedom with spending. What is the motivating factor that keeps you from saying, you know what, 48% is pretty good. Like, why can't I just do 40% and then we'll spend that other 8% on whatever we want? Okay. So funny you should ask it because this year I'm kind of leaning toward, I, I just recently had a conversation. Can we go a little lower than 45% because I am promoting a book this year. And um, I really have big hopes for the book, very excited about it. And I want, and this is probably the only time I'm going to write a book. I don't see myself as like a long-term author. So I want to go big and I want it to make a splash. So we might spend a little bit more because we're in a unique season and I would go a little bit below that 45% because of it. So I am open to it, but I'm also like, I always, you're going to laugh because you're a numbers guy. I always say, let's leave a little room for magic. You, you never know what might, <laughs> might shake out at the end. And it hey, tends like to work. That. You should like try that. it. <laughs> do you have, do you have tentative launch dates for your book yet? Yes. February 22nd, 2023. Not tentative. Oh, damn. It's okay. happening. Yeah. Well, so you know, I'm, I'm, time. I've already, I've already mentally put myself on the launch list. So oh God, I'm excited. This is why I love you. Seriously. I can't yeah. wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. That's super exciting. Do you want to, um, can you, is it too early for you to share just a little bit about what the book's going to be about? No, I appreciate you asking. It's called two weeks notice, how to find the courage to quit your job and start an online business. 
And it's not about digital courses or how to create digital courses or anything like that. It's just how to get started. You know, there's so many people out there that don't realize, Brayden, that we like live the best lives in the world as being our own bosses. And I just yeah. want to introduce more and more people to this opportunity. So it's very, very beginning. They're still in a nine to five. They don't even realize what's out there for them. And I'm going to show them uh, all the possibilities. Well, I think your audience is probably going to eat that up because I, I remember so. I did an interview on another podcast uh, called the Get Paid Podcast a few weeks ago. And I remember the host asked me, how did you get into online courses? And I said, well, I listened to this little podcast called the Gold Digger Podcast and Amy <laughs> Porterfield was a guest and I just really liked her. So I went and listened to her podcast. And within uh, three months, I was in Digital Course Academy, creating a digital course. And I didn't even know that was a business model. Okay, um, Brayden, I did not know this story. And that's yeah. why you're like a superstar student. Like you listened to the podcast, you got in DCA, you created it, you have great success with courses. Like, can I clone you and have like a hundred more of you? Because it's it literally is what I live for. Yes, 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 of course. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think your book's that's going to be awesome because a lot of you do a really good job at introducing people to the success that they can have. And then of course, guiding them through the process. So I can't I'm wait excited. for that. That's going to be great. Okay. I want to talk, I want to get into your PL a little bit more because I have, okay. I have some more questions because of course I love a PL. I'm curious when you get your monthly PL, do you have, I'm assuming that you have some things that are like really, we're going to, we're going to like flag for you this month, but what are the things that your CFO is like, 2022, these are the three areas we really want to put a magnifying glass on. Are there some categories like that on your PL? Yes, uh, paid ad spend. So we don't necessarily have a percentage of, let's say we're going to do a launch for Digital Course Academy. We'll go to history because I've done the launch so many times. We'll go to the history of the launch and figure out how much money did we spend on ads in let's say 2021 do we want to do the same for 2022 or whatever so we can pull old data and we usually go from there i hate starting from scratch so i love that we've got uh, historical data but when we're looking at the pnl um ad spend is increased uh this year and even last year and it's getting higher and higher i pray it's just a season but i also think we need to start thinking of different ways except just Facebook for yeah. ad spend, which is where I spend the bulk of my money. And so he will say like, we got to be careful with this right here. If ad spend is higher and we're converting less, we're spending more money than we ever have in years past. So that's one area. Absolutely. Another area for me is I uh, need to uh, keep a check on my salaries. So I have probably now I think it's because I just hired two new people, 22 full-time employees. Wow. And I've never wanted a big team. And so it's very odd that I have, that feels like a big team to me. I know I'm a small business, but um, I've got big dreams and and I, I know what I want to do. And I've got a really great plan and I need people to do that. And I also care deeply about burnout. And so I don't want to give someone too much so that they start to hate their job. So giving people just a the amount of work that they need to get it done is important to me. So we look at salary just to make sure that I'm not inflated in that area because God forbid, I'd never want to have to do layoffs or anything like that. So that's an area that we just keep a very close eye on. And then the third one would be contractor expenses. That's one that could easily get too high and out, out of the range that we set. And typically it's uh, a contractor takes longer than we thought. We didn't budget appropriately. They're more expensive. So keeping an eye on contractors, especially when I, I have 
five different departments. So I've got operations, communication, or uh, community, content, marketing, and customer experience. They all have their own budgets. And so they're all hiring contractors and whatnot. So they need to stay within their budget, but they all don't always do that. So it's, it's an area we have to watch. Okay. This is, this is so good. I, Amy, I have so many questions. Okay. okay. So I'm going to start, I want to start with the first one. We talk about advertising. Okay. Yes. I, I'm assuming that the bulk of your advertising budget go like goes towards launches, but I'm assuming you also have evergreen ads as well, right? Yeah. A lot of money goes toward um, evergreen. So uh, we have a rule that we want to four times our ad spend. So if we spend a dollar on ads, we want to make $4 and we track this every single week. Are we on track? Are we off track? And so um, we spend a lot of money on evergreen ads because I've got two evergreen programs. And the only way people are going to get into those programs is if they see an ad because I can't keep marketing to my own email list or mm -hmm. audience. And so that's a huge ad spend. And then you're right. Digital Course Academy is three, four hundred thousand dollars in ads. Like it's, wow. it's a big one. Yeah. So I'm assuming you probably. So if we're looking at List Builder Society, which is one of your fabulous courses, right? Mm -hmm. You're looking at, all right, let's say, you know, we made, we spent a thousand dollars this week on ads. We want to see at least $4,000 in revenue from LBS, just as like a random hypothetical. Is that what you're looking at? Exactly. Okay. And then do you, is your, are your ads handled outside of the business with contractors? Or do you do that internally? Up until a year ago, they were always handled by an agency. And then I decided to bring it in full-time. So I have a full-time ads person. Nice. I, I feel like I see people doing that more and more often now so they can get like a tighter control on the ads. Absolutely. And it's been a cost saver. So I absolutely am saving money by bringing it in-house. And is your ads person just like a total rock star when it comes to like KPIs and all the metrics? She really is. She knows her stuff. But one of the things in, she'll be the first to say this, she knows Facebook ads really well and Instagram mm -hmm. ads. So I want to venture out to TikTok ads. I want to try, of course, LinkedIn ads and uh, wherever, Pinterest. And she doesn't know paid advertising in those areas, which is one of the downfalls. When you go with an agency, there's probably somebody else who would know that yeah. stuff. But I'm all about like, if you're willing to learn, I'm willing to, for you to do it on my dime because I get immense value from that as well. So she's really open to learning new platforms and I'm all about it. Nice. For, for me, one of the, my biggest struggles is like, I know the numbers, but I still don't do a great job tracking the numbers. <laughs> Those are two different things. It's really like, it's really hard. There's so much data you have to pull. So much data. And what we do is we set up a spreadsheet and then she is responsible for um, updating that spreadsheet every single Monday. So if it was up to me, Brayden, it would never get updated. So <laughs> we need someone to do it for you, especially because you understand the numbers probably better than I do. But it is great that we see all the historical data. We can go back to two years ago and see how we were doing versus today, which is sad because two years ago, ads were a whole lot cheaper. I know like they were, you could sell stuff like Ugh. hotcakes. I'm assuming on Facebook yes. that, that is my one regret. I never, I didn't really start doing ads until like mid last year. And I really wish well, I would have so done them. You don't them. know how good it was. So that's yeah, I good. <laughs> I wish I would have done them when you originally told me that I was supposed to be doing <laughs> them is what I'm saying. Okay. The, the next thing you said you really look at on your P and L are your employees. Yeah. So salaries and wages. Mm -hmm. So you have a team of 22 people. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. What, a lot. what was your evolution of hiring? Like when did you bring on your first employee? 
My first full-time employee was uh, seven years ago and it was Chloe, you know, Chloe, cause you're uh -huh. in my world. And she came on as a project manager. And I remember, um, I did not pay her a lot of money out of respect for her. I won't say how much, but it was not a lot. And I remember I was terrified to pay a full-time employee, the amount of money I was paying her. And, um, but I promised her, she reminds me of this all the time. I promised her, I'll give you $10,000 more of salary. If you hit your goals for our first webinars that convert launch. Nice. And she's like, I was on it. She's a <laughs> Enneagram three. She's ready for the competition and she blew it out of the water. She's like, show me the money. And when she left, so Chloe left after seven years, she's a full-time contractor for me now, but she was ready for just to, she's getting married. She's going to have a bunch of babies. She's ready for just a new transition. And so when she left, she um, makes a whole lot more money when she started, but she reminds me how scared I was in the early days. It's scary to take a full-time employee. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask, was that like an oh shit moment for you when you hired Chloe or were you the type of person that was like, oh no, I have the first year salary already in the bank, ready to go? Oh, no, no, it was very oh shit moment. And I was very, very scared. I was like, she better produce some results because she's paying for herself. And the great thing is she was a money-making employee. Like she's specifically tied to the launches. So she was able to prove herself quickly. Nice. I just I just hired a social salesperson. So we'll, we'll have to chat okay. about that. That should be exciting. So, yes, we will. Because those are the greatest positions. When you hire someone that literally is meant to make you money, you, that worry can kind of go away a little bit of where's the money coming from? Yeah. Like let's let's see the, R, the ROI. Yes. <laughs> Okay. I know. Um, also when I started following you, Amy, I remember listening to your podcast and you talked a lot about your small, but mighty team. Yeah. And I want to reflect back. And I feel like, I feel like you had maybe four or five, uh, employees at that point in time. I and we're bet, talking yeah. like 2018. So not that long ago. So it sounds like there was like a flip switch, switch, flip, flip, switch moment for you at some point. What happened there? So what happened was I, in the middle of my business, I got into a, a partnership. And so I had a partner and we did that for a few years until it just wasn't going to serve either of us. And that's a whole story for another day, but I got out of the partnership, but for some reason there was like a game on feeling to me. Like I was ready to do big things. I felt stifled in the partnership and I was ready to go for it. And I was launching Digital Course Academy for the first time. And we were adding some new products and new opportunities, a membership, all this great stuff. And I, my team was very burned out. Like mm -hmm. I had a lot of contractors, which with contractors, I love having contractors because you don't have to worry about salary and benefits and all those things. But at the same time, they're on their own schedule. You can't tell them when to work, how to work, where to work or anything like that. And I, there was so much control I was losing out of that, that it was slowing me down. So one of the decisions to build up the team was contractors were no longer working for us. We want more control over what's happening in the business. We got to bring it in house. So that was one of the big decisions. But I will say, looking back, I definitely hired too fast because there was a launch. It must have been 2019 where we were going through a Digital Course Academy launch, which is my biggest bread and butter course. And there were probably like five people on the team that had no idea what was going on. And like to look at employees during my biggest launch of the year and they're like deer in headlights, that was not a good idea. They weren't even trained properly yet. So I did make the mistake of doing it too quickly. So advice for anyone listening hire slow, but they always say fire fast. When you know the person isn't the right fit, I, I've sat on that too long as well, but hire slow. 
Nice. I feel like all this information is going to slot in so well because we've had a few different HR people on the podcast in the past couple months. Yeah. We did a hiring masterclass. There's oh, been all sorts cool. of good stuff. Yeah. So this is really helpful to get this type of perspective from someone who has hired a number of people. Hire slow, fire, fire fast. I like I know, that. It sounds but terrible, but consult your attorney before you fire too many. People. I agree. <laughs> before you fire yes. too many people. Okay. So you started bringing some contractors in house or you started turning some contractor roles into employee roles. Mm-hmm. What does your training process like? Does, does everyone that join your team, like go through digital course Academy or what does that look like? Yeah. So what it looks like is anybody who is managing a new employee, they have to create a 30, 60, 90 day plan. And basically it's when someone shows up on their first day of work, you present them with the 30 day plan and you say, okay, here's what's expected of you this month. And that 30 day plan is very much what you just said. You're going through digital course Academy. You're going through list builder society. You're meeting with key members of the team. You're listening to specific episodes of my podcasts that talk about my origin and how I got started and what the business looks like and where it's going. And so we just indoctrinate, if that's the right word, them <laughs> into our world. Lots of learning, lots of listening the first month, because I've got this motto. I hate when someone comes on the team and they think they're going to start changing a bunch of things. And my motto is learn first, pay attention, be quiet, figure it out, and then come to the table with some great ideas that I know they have, but I don't want them to discount all the hard work that everyone's done to get to the point that we're at. Like when people come into my business, I always say, we're not broken. So you're not coming in to fix us. You're coming in to make it even better. And here's all the ways that I'm hoping you will. And so that's just really important to me because some people like to just come in and be bulldozers. And I don't think it's fair to the team. So anyway, getting back 30, 60, 90 plan by 60 days. Now they're starting to maybe add in some of their ideas, come to the table with some fresh, um, brainstorming sessions with their teams and all of that, like getting involved more. And then 90 days is where we tend to see people starting to implement some of the ideas and some of the initiatives we have for them, but lots of training in the first 30 days. And what would you recommend to people if they want to hire their first employee? I'm thinking about sitting down myself to develop a 30, 60, 90 day plan feels a little bit overwhelming with the first employee. It absolutely is, especially with the first person. So with the first person, it took us forever. Like, what are we going to have them do? I remember when the 30, 60, 90 was totally novel to all of us. I think Chloe was hiring the first employee where we were using it. And it took her hours to even do the first 30 days because we're making it up as we go. The beauty of it, though, is once she got through 30, 60, 90, now she had a template. And a lot of the stuff that we have people do in those first 90 days are universal to all of the positions or at Mm -hmm. least kind of similar. So now we can pick and choose different things. Like right now, I have an open position for VP of marketing and Chloe is helping me put together the 30, 60, 90. And she literally took the last one she did and she's working from there. So I always say, don't reinvent the wheel if you don't have to. It does get easier, but you are absolutely right, Braden. That first one sucks. Yeah, so we'll start We'll start with some VAs and some contractors and yes. you eventually just like grow and evolve, right? Okay, Perfect. so speaking of Chloe, you mentioned that your your third area that you look at on your PL in detail are your contractor expenses. So my first question on that is, you decide, okay, we need to hire, maybe you can give me a concrete example in a moment, but we need to hire for X project, X role, whatever. 
How do you determine if that goes to someone who is already on your team versus if you need to go find a contractor to do that task? Yeah, so we look at two things. We look at expertise and we look at bandwidth. And so let me give you an example. We have a uh, uh, copywriter contractor. Now we have a full-time contractor. Her name is Emery. She's incredible. We love her dearly. She started out in our community team and she kept writing these amazing captions and we're like, there's some magic here like what's going on and she came to us and said i'd really love to be the copywriter on your team we got her the training she needed we got her to work with some copywriters that were contractors of ours and she's now a full-time copywriter and she's excellent but we have a lot of initiatives going on because i have a big team now and she just can't possibly do it all so when we look at needing another contractor we look at emory's bandwidth and that's number one we know she's maxed And then number two, like we want a copywriter for quizzes. You know, I do a lot of quizzes for list building and no one on my team is an expert in quizzes. And there's really an art and a science behind a really great quiz that's gonna generate leads and add value. So we plan to have a copywriter for all of our quizzes and we bake that in at the beginning of the year, knowing what we're going to need. Like we're creating a quiz for my book, we're creating a quiz for a workshop we're doing. So we already knew at the beginning of the year, we need at least two quizzes. So we knew that we needed that contractor. Quizzes are so hard. I can't even tell you the amount They're of times. They're so hard. Like I try I, to create them. Yes. I mean, I, shout out to anyone who's done their own quiz before because that's scrappy and awesome. And I remember the days where I was more scrappy than I am today, but they are not easy. And Shanty's like a pro. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you've you've had her on your podcast and everything as well, yeah, right? So really she knows what you've got, what you've got cooking over there to write you a yeah. bomb.com quiz, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. So you have your contractors. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the other contractor roles you have in your business. Yeah. So one of the things that, uh, I'm going to back up really quick. I just recently was talking to one of my mentors, Michael Hyatt. And one thing that I realized of his business, he has a bigger business than I do, but he uses a lot of consultants. Now he has more money and consultants are expensive, but one of the things I might do differently in the near future is find some areas of my business that I want to dial in a little bit more and better and bring in a consultant to offer advice because a good insult, a consultant will help you make money in the future. Yeah. So Michael was reminding me, he's like, look, I pay for these consultants, but my, my objective is they're going to help me make more money in the long term." And I think spending a little money on areas that I might be struggling with is a great idea. So let me give you an example. Um, Because I pay a lot of people and because inflation is rising and um, I want to make sure that I always pay uh, at least a little bit more than the average, if not a lot more. But I don't know if I'm paying well right now. And we usually do yearly evaluations and then you get a raise. And I don't know if the top raise is even going to cover inflation. And then we do bonuses as well. So we're going to bring in a consultant to look at all the different positions I have, how much I pay them, the bonuses, the benefits, everything in between, and show me where I fall. Am am I below? Am I in the middle? Am I higher? And what can I do to retain uh, my employees more? Like that's worth spending money on because when someone quits, it's very expensive to find somebody else in that expensive in time, resources, and money. So anyway, that's the kind of thing that I think I'm growing toward, but I think that takes some money and takes some time. But to get back to your question, other contractors that I have, um, I have a lot of contractors. I'm trying to think. So I have a a content creator contractor. So I have two full-time content people 
plus a director, which you're gonna think like, that sounds like a lot of, a lot of contract, I mean, a lot of content management, but I've got a podcast and multiple courses and I'm yeah. always creating new content. And so we have a contractor that's just 20 hours a month, but she's like a godsend. So usually it's when the employees are maxed or there's a project that just isn't gonna get the attention it needs unless we bring somebody in, I know I need a contractor. And does your, does your content person work directly with Jill? Yes. Yes. We all <laughs> love know, Jill. Yeah. You know, Jill and I, we um, both collect La Crusade cookware and her and I chat about that on Instagram. <laughs> I did not know that. Is Jill not the most tr biggest treasure in, in the world? Like yes. she's just the greatest ever. I love Honestly, her. you have so, you have so many great people on your team. I feel like I'm friends with a lot of them, which is really fun. That makes me so happy. Yeah. With Jill, I didn't know Emily, Emory was writing copy for you now either, which that makes like a lot of sense. That's awesome. It. Yeah, she's crushing it. And then like my CFO is a contractor. So that's that's another great example of a really great position, a big position in the company, but I don't necessarily need a full-time CFO. Yeah. And so that's another thing. If I don't need it full-time, it's going to be a contractor. And like I said, contractors are a whole lot easier than full-time employees in my book, but I came from California and you know this, that it gets a little tricky of using contractors. Yes. There's a lot of rules and I was breaking some of them. So that's why I also needed to move people into full-time employees. Yeah, the rules are out of control. I have yes, podcast episodes you. on that people. Also, okay. if any of you are listening and you're like, what the hell is a, like a fractional CFO? I actually interviewed a fractional CFO uh, about a month ago. So everyone can go tune in to that episode, which will I didn't even know that's great. what it's called. That's great to know. Yeah. Usually if you, it's like a full-time CFO, obviously it's full-time and then fractional just means that they're working as a CFO part-time fractionally for multiple different businesses. That's what is, I've got. Yeah. Fractional CFO. So that is great. Okay. Amy, I want to, I want to flash forward. I'm like looking at my watch. What it, it's, what are we <laughs> April, June? I don't even know. I want to flash forward a few months. Okay. And I want to talk a little bit about planning just because I'm really nerdy and I really like to plan. Um, as you can tell from my full focus planner right here in front of oh, me. Oh, you have a baby one. I do. I have the pocket. Yes. Pocket planner. <laughs> I love it. Um, love talking about planning. And I know that this is something you chat about on your podcast, in your yeah. programs, all that kind of stuff. What does your planning planning process look like? Like if we're going to do a team meeting in January, when do you start planning for your for your planning meeting? It's such a great question. I'm uh, seriously, I'm all about the planning. Um, we will start planning probably end of October. And nice. the planning, what that looks like is first we decide what are we launching next year? What are we promoting? How are we making money? We start out with the money, absolutely. I mean, in my world, it goes without saying that we are here to offer value and serve and, and our customers and students come first. But when we're planning, we gotta look at the bottom line or we won't be able to even serve our students. So we start there. What do we wanna promote at first? What do we wanna promote? And then we start to put together details of how much money we will make with each of these entities. So for example, I'm just gonna tell you what it is in my business. So we've got my three courses. I've got three digital courses and one membership. Those are absolutely gonna be one line item. And then I have affiliate, affiliate um, opportunities. So I'll promote a few other courses throughout the year. So we've got line items for those big ones like B-School or mm -hmm. um, the membership experience with Stu McLaren. Those are big line items for us. 
And then we've got another line item, which is just affiliate software and products and programs that are on the smaller scale. But these are things that we talk about regularly. So it really adds up. So affiliates, uh, opportunities in that way. And then from there, um, I'm in a podcast network and I make money on my podcast. So we've got a line item for that. So just everything that's going to make us money, we've got a line item for it. And then we figure out how much money. And I'm in a beautiful place today that I wasn't when I first started, that I just go back to historical data. And I look at what did we make over the last few years? What did I always am looking at conversion rates. So if it's Digital Course Academy, what did we convert at in 2021? Do we think we can do that again in 2022? Um, how many leads can we get? And all the different numbers we put into a formula to get out how much money we think we can make. The biggest mistake I've made in the past with that is I haven't recorded notes. So sometimes we'll end up with the number and we're like, wait, what were we thinking? But now we put notes to all of the final numbers. Like we, we thought we'd go down 2% because we saw the ads are more expensive or whatever. And, and then we're like, oh, that's why we did it. But we used to never have notes. And like they, people would look at me and I was like, I don't know. I don't know why we did that. Now we don't do that. Yeah, notes are important because God knows I forget everything. Everything. Amy, yes. Yeah, I'm I'm curious when you're doing these uh, we'll call them projections. Yes. Um I know that you're a very growth oriented person just from mm -hmm. listening to your podcast. But do you ever sit down at your meeting and you think, "You know what? We're just going to like take this one kind of chill." Does that happen at Amy Porterfield? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so um, we, we've decided to, um, some of our affiliate deals that we do, we decided to kind of pull back on a few, like we're not going to go balls to the walls with this because we'd rather put our focus someplace else. Mm -hmm. So the only time I'm going to go chill in one area is because I want to double down in another. And, uh, it absolutely does happen. And also we definitely from 2020, 2021, we saw a decline in some of our uh, product sales. We're kind of seeing hopefully coming out of that in 2022. We'll see how it shakes up, but not every year is going to be a huge gain. And I've had some, I went, uh, I've talked publicly about this, but I went from like 5 million to 16 million in one year. So it was a really big jump. And so from there, we, we needed to make some decisions to kind of figure out what's working and where we double down. Yeah. And so oh, my point being is that sometimes we are going to go backwards or go um, kind of stay the same. But when I project that, I'm always looking at, but where's the growth in the future? Mm -hmm. So if we decide we're going to stay the same this year and not grow, what are we working on so that next year we can grow? And one great example is I'm writing a freaking book. I'm launching an entire book that I've never done that in my life before. So if we need to spend some time there and that means this isn't going to be as big as it's been, you got to make those sacrifices. And as long as I know why I made them, I'm totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, as you know, I'm sure that your book people have told you this, but you don't usually get rich off the books, <laughs> book sales themselves. Right. right? So it's, exactly. if we're going to take a month out of the calendar to promote the book, it might actually dip our revenue in the short term, but you know, it's then true. it's going to build yeah. this huge uh, audience of loyal fans. that's going to potentially buy stuff down the road. So it's, it's a struggle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The book, the book stuff's fun. I can't, I can't wait to follow that. Okay. Okay. Amy. So we're going to, we're going to start to wrap up here, but I want you to tell everyone, like, why do you have on the horizon? What should people look out for if they're 
uh, already following you. I'm assuming we have maybe uh, opening of Digital Course Academy coming up at some point. Yes, and I so appreciate you asking. So every year, every September, I open up Digital Course Academy. And in August, I tend to do a lot of cool, fun, free things to help people decide if they want to create a digital course or what that might look like. So pay attention to August and September. That's when I do my biggest promotion and it's so much fun. And will you be using affiliates this year, Amy? Yep. Every year okay. I use affiliates. And so a lot of my peers promote as well. And that makes it extra fun because they've got cool bonuses. So stay tuned for my bonuses, everybody. Yeah. It's going to be really fun. We'll do a- You got to uh, buy from Brayden because not only do you, now you'll learn how to create a digital course, but then you'll learn how to manage all that money you make so you can keep it. Like yeah. you and I are a great combination. Exactly. And Amy, what you may not know is I love doing live student calls. So the last time I did a DCA bonus, we did a two hour a week live Zoom call. I think we had a- I, I did it with another DCA alum, my friend Renee. We decided to do the um, so cool. affiliate launch together, and then we shared the commission, which was great. But yeah, we did a live Zoom call. It was really, really fun, and everyone okay. got their courses out. It was exciting. That's exciting because the more live attention people can get, the faster they can get to the finish line. So anybody, yeah. any affiliate of mine that's offering their actual time, I'm fully indebted to that because I think it creates so much more success. Yeah, a lot of our folks are in the wedding industry. So we were talking about, you know, is your course going to be for other wedding professionals or for couples? Because if it's going to be for other wedding oh. professionals, well, you're basically starting a second business because that's a whole separate email true. list, right? Oh, true. So those are the things we discussed. Okay, so that's very exciting. All right. Are you ready for the final question, Amy? I am. I'm nervous. Okay. It's be, it's very scary. So watch out. Um, <laughs> all of my listeners know that I have a free Facebook group called Braden's besties. So if they want to be one of my besties, they have to go join the Facebook group. Fun. If they would like to become one of Amy's besties, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh my gosh. Best question ever. So I have a podcast called online marketing made easy. And literally that's where I put my heart and soul into all things, list building and webinars and courses and all of course, free content that you can get started with. So if you like Braden's podcast and you love listening to podcasts, you might like mine as well. So online marketing made easy. Okay, beautiful. So we will, of course, link to that in the show notes. We're going to link your Instagram. Are you, are you on TikTok, Amy? Are you doing business TikTok? So, funny you should say that. I'm not, I'm on TikTok, but I don't really have anything there. But for the book, we are absolutely going to do a TikTok channel. I will not be dancing or pointing <laughs> to things. We're going to find a different way. So watch out world. Okay. So stay tuned. We'll put all the links in there. Make sure you go listen to online marketing made easy. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, friend. I adore you. And this has been so much fun. Bye. Bye. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.